Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 197. We'll continue in the Proverbs with a brief summary of chapters 24 through 27 and follow with some thoughts about Mark Twain and the temptation to argue with stupid. Chapter 24 concludes the list of 30 words to the wise that started in chapter 22. Chapter 22 had 6, chapter 23 had 11, so we finish the list of 12 with a sort of acrostic with advice about not envying the wicked and desiring their flashy lifestyle because... Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. The Hebrew letter Bet looks like a house, and Mishli tells us what we'll need to build a proper home. You guessed it, wisdom and discernment. There are other wise words about who's really mighty. Spoilers, it's the wise man, and how you can't advise stupid. And how you shouldn't celebrate when your enemy falls, because, quote, Lest Adonai see, and it be evil in his eyes, and he deflect his wrath from him. The list concludes with a solid reminder that, quote, Fear Adonai, my son, and the king, neither one nor the other vex. When Mishlei begins verse 23 with, quote, These two are from the wise, the fourth portion of the book of Proverbs begins, one that deals with matters of justice in the courts and some lessons about proper speech and laziness. There's also a slight shift in tone. For example, rather than drop a hot take about laziness, we get a cautionary tale instead. Quote, I passed by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of one without sense. And look, it had all sprouted thorns. Its surface was covered with thistles and its stone wall was in ruins. And I beheld and I paid mind. I saw, I took reproof, a bit more sleep, a bit more slumber, a bit more lying with folded arms, and your privation will come like a wayfarer, your want like a shield-bearing man. Chapter 25 begins the fifth section of Proverbs, quote, These two are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judea, transcribed. This is one of those rare moments where the curtain is pulled aside and we get to see the levers and pull cords of the Tanakh machine with the men of Hezekiah from the end of the 8th century BCE transcribing the Proverbs of Shlomo from the 10th century BCE into the collection of maxims we have in our hands today. A lot of things can fall under the umbrella of transcribing. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! So what are these Proverbs telling us? A king is not a god, but he is more than a commoner. Show some respect. Or, quote, Do not go out quickly to a quarrel, for what will you do afterward when your neighbor puts you to shame? There are some solid pieces of advice here about how to handle secrets. Don't tell them. How to offer criticism. Only the wise will appreciate it. And maintain your relationships by not overstaying your welcome. And then, some knowledge in the tried and true formula. Quote, Better to dwell in the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome wife in a spacious house. This sounds an awful lot like Proverbs 21 verse 9, but it still slaps. Chapter 26 brings us back to stupid, or the fool and how to handle them. In a world where wisdom is the currency of the realm, the fool is out of pocket. Mishle waxes poetic about the fool, quote, He cuts off his own legs, drinking outrage, he who sends words by a fool. Thighs hang slack on the lame, and a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one binding a stone in a sling, so he who gives a fool honor. A thorn comes up in the hand of a drunk, and a proverb in the mouth of fools. A master brings all things about, but who hires a fool hires vagabonds. Like a dog going back to his own vomit, a dolt repeats his folly. 
And what about the lazy? Michelet is equally savage, but we've heard some of these adages before. Nonetheless, they are so good, like, quote, a door turns on its hinge and a sluggard on his bed. Oof. Chapter 26 concludes with some less pathological types, but very human ones nonetheless. Quote, like one who seizes the ears of a passing dog is he who mixes in with a quarrel not his. There are other more pressing examples in this concluding section, but what it all boils down to is that people can stir the pot with their words and they should be careful because people can get hurt. Chapter 27 has more maxims about life, like, quote, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you know not what the day will bring forth. Let a stranger praise you, and not your own mouth, another, and not your own lips. But we can also talk of nice things sometimes, like friends. Quote, Iron together with iron, and a man together with his friend. Who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and who guards his master will be honored. Like water face to face, thus the heart of man to man. And then Mishle offers some advice to shepherds. Yes, herders of sheep. You know, shepherds. But they too could easily apply to captains of industry and startups. Quote, You must surely know the look of your flock. Put your mind on the herds. For wealth is not forever, nor a crown for time to come. The grass is gone, new grass appears, the mountain's grasses are gathered. There are sheep for your clothing, he goats, the price of a field. Enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your house, and the viands for young women. In episode 193, I shared what many believe was a quote from Mark Twain about history not repeating itself, but rhyming. And I observed then that Mark Twain would probably have been very excited to discover how many clever maxims had been attributed to him that he never actually said. This episode is no different. I will muster another quip from Twain that he probably didn't say. Quote, Never argue with stupid people. They will drag you down to their level and then beat you with experience. And as one does on the internet, one would put said quote in white letters on a black background with an accompanying headshot of the man himself, stern and stately. After a little research into this quote and some help from the Center for Mark Twain Studies at Elmira College, it seems that the quote might have started with, of all people, Yul Brenner. As the folks at the Center for Mark Twain Studies recount, Hal Boyle, a Pulitzer-winning reporter from the Associated Press, published a profile of actor Yul Brenner on November 13, 1956. That year, Brenner starred as Ramses in the Ten Commandments. So let it be written. So let it be done. He was also the king in The King and I. And in December of that year, he would appear in Anastasia opposite Ingrid Bergman. One, two, three, one, two, three. As profiles go, there's a basic format and softball questions, one of them being, quote, what is the greatest advice you've ever received? Boyle recorded Brenner's response as follows, quote, Yule said the greatest advice he ever received in life was given by the French writer Jean Cocteau, who told him never associate with idiots on their own level, because being an intelligent man, you'll try to deal with them on their level, and on their level, they'll beat you every time. Cocteau wrote and published a lot, and nowhere in his many writings did he ever reproduce this maxim, and it seems that Brenner, when being edgy or insulting, had a habit of attributing what he was about to say to Cocteau. 
And with the passage of time, alternate versions of that idiot's on their own level line began to circulate without attribution in the print media, motivational books, and advertising campaigns. The quote first appeared on Facebook in 2005 and Twitter in 2007, also without attribution, but as soon as someone attached Twain's name to it, it just kind of stuck. Regardless of the source, it's sound advice and strongly echoes Michelet, who said, quote, do not answer a dolt by his folly, lest you to be like him. But what defines that dolt or idiot or stupid person? I should probably figure that out so I don't inadvertently be like him. Is it mispronouncing words, making basic grammatical errors, using vague phrases like and stuff? coming off smug about myself, making bold black and white pronouncements, rambling on and on, insisting I'm right when I've been proven wrong, espousing superstitious or conspiratorial beliefs, focusing too much on pop culture or cultivating my appearance, or is it like pornography? That is, you just know stupid when you see it. Like that moment when you look around the poker table to identify the sucker only to realize the sucker is you. But I guess acknowledging that you might be the stupid one is a sign of self-awareness, which reflects, I would say, some wisdom, which is kind of the opposite of stupid. Anyway, why is engaging with such a person a fruitless pastime? Well, we first have to start from the place where we acknowledge that there are ways of engaging with people and engaging in argument with people. In other words, you know, rules of engagement. And we learn them as we go through life, sometimes formally, but more often informally. And this harkens back to the idea I talked about in episode 193 about testimony, which happens whenever you believe something because someone else vouched for the information. I have to take that secondhand knowledge on faith, and because of norms of testimony, which we all used to share, this system worked relatively well. We could mostly agree what information was not only just believable, but convincingly true, accurate, and reputable. In other words, we shared a sense of what was credible. Now, as much as this sounds like a good thing, it also has its dystopian dark side. What do I mean when I say we? Who do I mean when I say we? Depending on where and when I ask this question, I don't know if I would include myself as part of that we or part of the consensus around what's credible information or what's considered a norm around engaging with other people in polite argument. So, huh, that being said, I think I might want to distinguish between folks who manipulate norms and rules for their own ends and folks who are just blithely ignorant of them. But that also might be a little bit insulting because it might paint a patronizing picture where I dismiss the folks I disagree with as consisting of a small percentage who are actually not stupid, but are purposely twisting and manipulating, and then the rest who follow them down the path to stupidity. So I don't know where that leaves us except to reconsider Michelet's advice. Don't argue with stupid. They don't follow the rules of engagement. They don't value consistency. They don't acknowledge when facts don't support their position. They don't think your facts or sources are credible. But most pressingly, stupid doesn't want to learn anything new. They don't want to take in any new information that might result in a change of heart or mind. And stupid might say that the rules of engagement are bollocks and consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers. And facts, well... You're saying it's a falsehood and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. 
and credible sources are just basically shills for corporate interests and advertisers. And, you know, there is a kernel of truth to all of those claims. And before you know it, you're navel deep into an epistemological crisis where we can't possibly know anything is true. And Michelet seems to be advocating for disengagement from all of that, which leaves us kind of up in the air. After the 2016 American election, similar advice in the form of handy guides and listicles were being produced in mass quantities by blue-check liberal media outlets. Don't argue with stupid, they said. Try to physically leave the situation. If you can't, ask questions and keep asking them. In this way, the other person focuses more on their feelings than stupid. And if the stupid assails your sense of propriety by introducing non-credible facts, acknowledge the validity of their perspective. And most of all, avoid being negative. And be compassionate and have empathy, which on its face sounds a little bit stupid. Here you have somebody who might be literally or figuratively up in your face, wagging a finger, etc., and you're supposed to be compassionate and empathetic without any kind of guidance as to how to do that. As with many of Twain's own lessons, Michelet immediately follows with a reversal. Answer the dolt by his folly, lest he seem wise in his own eyes. So don't argue with stupid, but also argue with stupid, otherwise stupidity will go unchecked. And with common psychological phenomena like confirmation bias or the backfire effect where your deepest convictions grow stronger when challenged by contradictory evidence, or the Dunning-Kruger effect where people with low ability at a task overestimate their ability, stupidity seems to be on the rise. Is there some dialectic here, maybe? Probably not. If the chapters of the Psalms seem disconnected from each other, the verses of Proverbs are more so, and we'll see how sometimes the same disconnection applies between the words in Job. But what sense can we make of Michelet's obvious contradiction here and now? Do we engage with stupid or not? Well, one way to read these contrary prescriptions is to distinguish between follies. On matters of little to no significance, like did Han shoot first in the most icely cantina, or should you bite or lick ice cream, or does the person flying in the middle seat get both armrests, don't engage with stupid. Stupid is what stupid does, sir. Just leave them be to entrench themselves in their stupidity. However, on more weighty, substantial matters, you need to step in. But that's precisely where the problem arises. Politics, one could say, is a substantial matter. This is the most important election of our times. Look, this is the most important election, certainly in my lifetime. This is the most important election in our lifetimes. This November's elections are more important than any I can remember in my lifetime, and that includes when I was on the ballot. Do we leave that to stupid? Another way to parse these opposing adages is to say that context matters, or to be more specific, stupid matters. If there's a chance that stupid might be swayed, speak to them. But if stupid is too far gone, leave it. Which I guess means I should be quitting Facebook yesterday. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Tell a friend about Tanakhcast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to Nachcast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. 
Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 198, when we conclude the Proverbs with chapters 28 through 31.